Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. As most of you probably know, we recently released the digital edition of our big, brand new Blister Winter Buyer's Guide. And we have an update. The limited edition print version of the guide is going to be shipping out in just a few days, so keep an eye on your mailbox for that. And if you'd like to get a limited edition print copy of the guide, there is still time to order it on our website. I said it last week and I'll say it again. We always hear about what a good coffee table book these guides make. We here at Blister use the print edition pretty much every day in our work. And similarly, another thing we hear is just how many ski manufacturers and product managers use the Blister Buyer's Guide as a reference book to keep tabs on what the rest of the industry is up to. Now, the other thing you can do to get the print edition of the guide is to become a Blister member. Members receive a print edition of the guide, and you will also get access to all of our flash reviews and deep dive comparisons. And you can email us with any gear questions and get our personalized recommendations for you. And you get access to a number of exclusive deals and discounts from various manufacturers so that if you use any of these Blister member deals or discounts, the Blister membership literally more than pays for itself. So become a Blister member, get the print edition of the guide, save some money on gear, and support our independent work. And as you are going to hear in this very episode, we think there are more reasons than ever before to support independent review sources, ones that you can actually trust and ones that are not going to lie to you. Like I said, we're going to be talking quite a bit about that in this episode. Anyway, point is, there are lots of great reasons to become a Blister member, and for more information on becoming a Blister member, just check out the top of our website in the navigation bar where it says, very helpfully, become a Blister member. Okay, so last week we talked about some of our 1920 Blister Best Of selections and some of the products that just missed the cut and why, And we also discussed some general trends and some of our takeaways from putting this big buyer's guide together. And now, in this episode, we're answering a bunch of the questions that you submitted. There were a lot of submissions, so we couldn't get to all of them, but we are going to start doing audience question episodes a bit more regularly since you all do tend to ask really good questions. Even the question turned in by someone with the really regrettable handle, Sam Shaheen Fanboy. Yeah, I don't even know what to say about that. Anyway, we go through your questions first. Then in the back half of our conversation, we assess some of the product reviews from several of the other ski review publications out there and one gear recommendation website. And fair warning here, I get real fired up. And the reason is because there are still a lot of fake reviews and extremely misleading product reviews and product recommendation services out there. These publications need to change and start doing better, or we just need to stop supporting them. That's it. Pick one. So anyway, there is going to be a little bit of strong language here, so please do not listen if that offends you. 
But personally, I am still far more offended by the fake reviews and the ignorant reviews that are still being trotted out today in the outdoor sports world and being passed off as legitimate consumer product information. Anyway, that's our episode for today. Judge for yourself, make your own assessments, and here we go. All right, it's time for part two on our... 1920 Winter Buyer's Guide. Let's go ahead and just dive into this. Uh, Luke, do you want to kind of guide us through some of these submitted questions? All right. So to get started um, from, might as well start off. I'm going to butcher a lot of names and usernames. I can't, um, wait. I can't wait for this part of <laughs> it. But uh, our, our first question is from someone with the username ASAP Burgle. Um, which would be a fantastic rapper name or yeah. ASAP Bagel. Um, but he didn't spell it with the dollar sign, though. Just yeah, for clarity. yeah. ASAP <laughs> Bagel is amazing, yeah. actually. <laughs> um, anyway, they asked resort bindings of choice. Sam, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm going to give kind of a lame answer to this one because I... Uh, I think, yeah, I have a few that I particularly like, but also I don't think that they really matter. They're all so similar. They all have similar amounts of elasticity, similar safety. They all uh, like ad adhere to the same safety standards. I I particularly like um, the marker line. I think the marker gesture is a great binding. That's probably my favorite for retention, but I mean, the, the, the pivots, I mean, everyone's always good to talk about the pivots. I've never been a huge fan of, of the pivots, kind of hard to step into. But I don't know. Jonathan, do you have a better answer? Well, of course I have a better answer than your answer. <laughs> I, I mean, I think the way I would put it is maybe I would be less like, oh, yeah, they're kind of pretty much all the same. One, I don't think that's true. Two, I don't know enough for that to be true. But what I can say is that um, we are on a number of different bindings, like all the time. And... I can just honestly say these days, and this did not used to be true, say seven or eight years ago, but these days I'm rarely clicking into an Alpine binding where I'm like, I hate this binding. In fact, these days I wouldn't do that. Like I'm not going skiing. I wouldn't test skis in a binding that I was like, I have serious qualms or reservations or have had bad experiences with pre-releases or whatever. And so these days I can say I'm, we're clicking in and out of a number of different bindings and um, there's nothing out there where I'm like, just avoid this at all costs. Now that said, while we're skiing a number of different bindings, we're definitely not skiing every binding out there. So I usually am, I mean, on, this is, we've talked about it on some of my personal skis, I am still pretty inclined to put a look pivot but I've had good experiences with Solomon STH2s. Our reviewer, Paul Forward, that's his preferred binding in large part because of the easy step in, step out. And Paul, as we all know, usually stepping in and out of waist-deep heli-pow. That's all um, he does. Yeah. We've also had a lot of good luck with Tyrolia attack bindings. We use those very regularly. Those have been very solid performers for us. Honestly, if anything, Sam, I, you're the one of all of, of the three of us, at least, 
you're the one that tends to have some of the most complaints about AFDs and, and adjusting AFDs. I usually just blame you. Yeah, that's a personal you. problem though. Yes. Yeah. One of, <laughs> one of, um, but yeah, so I didn't, I was curious whether you were going to say anything about like AFDs and having to adjust stuff, but you're putting that on yourself rather than a binding manufacturer. Yeah, I mean, the reason why we have all these movable AFDs is because of all these different boot sole norms. So, I mean, whatever boots you have, whatever bindings you get, you're going to be able to make it work. It can just be a little bit of a pain to dial it in and let your shop do that, obviously. Yeah, I have very little preference when it comes to Alpine bindings. Um, they all work fine for me. And if I had to buy a pair for a personal ski, I'd probably do the STH2 just because I like stepping into it. I've never had any issues with it. And I don't know, the pivot, it skis great, but I do, I like being able to just click into my bindings in one go every single time. So that's literally the only like thing that really stands out. So interestingly, you know, I think Sam just said he likes jesters. I usually mount my personal skis with pivots and you just chose the Solomon STH2. Mm -hmm. So look, and if there are shop people out here right now, they might be pulling their hair out because they're like, look, we're bench testing this stuff and we consistently find this particular binding to have more consistent release values than another. And so what I'm not trying to do is undermine that or dis be dismissive of those things. But what we are speaking to is a lot of real world on snow experience kind of rotating through some of these different bindings quite a bit, actually. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, moving outside of resort skiing, DM Sarkomoto asked, best gear to buy to start backcountry? So at least for me, that answer depends on a ton of things, um, most notably like experience level, what type of touring you're going to be doing in the terrain. But I think a few skis that stand out to me, the Black Diamond Helio 105 and K2 Wayback 106 are both really nice and versatile, very light. Um, they don't really feel out of place in any conditions, so that'd be a good option. Um, for someone who wants a more playful or forgiving ski, I think the Line Vision 108 is great. Um, Sam, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I'll echo that Wayback 106. I think that's a really good starting backcountry ski. The only thing I would say about that is it does have relatively deep rocker lines, which can make skin traction a hair of a problem sometimes, but that's really not all that big of a deal. Um, I guess in general, though, I would take, maybe this is another cop-out answer, but um, starting backcountry is a kind of tricky thing because I think a lot of people are going to start backcountry and not end up liking it. So what I would suggest someone is looking to get into the backcountry is borrow some gear from friends, take an AVI course, go out with experienced people and see if it's something that you're really good at jive with. You know, it's a lot of walking, it's cold, it's a lot of work and it's not a lot of skiing. But if it is something that you really end up liking, uh, an introductory touring setup, I think ease of use is the number one thing. So I'd go with a real simple binding, something like a G3 Ion, simple skins, like a nylon skin that's going to be durable and pick a ski that's going to work for you. The ski's probably the least important part of the whole thing, really. Um, Boy, I would like, my answer would kind of strongly be like, the first thing you need to do is take an AVI one course, full stop. Like if you're not willing to do that, don't come asking questions about how to get started in the backcountry. Like if you're not willing to do that, this isn't for you. 
And I mean, that's where that's like a bare minimum point, right? So before you're, don't think about borrowing any gear, you know, and frankly, I'd almost kind of say like, if you're not willing to take that course, and if you're not willing to buy a beacon and then train with it, you're not showing a level of like intrigue and interest to even go down this path, I would say. Now, we know a lot of people, that's not how they get started, right? I mean, they will just kind of grab some stuff from friends and they have no idea what they're doing or how to use a beacon or anything like that. But I'm just saying like, if the answer is where do you start? You start in an AVI one course. And if you're like, this sounds boring or I don't want to have to be concerned with snowpack, cool, get back in the resort. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this person specifically asked about gear, but I think in case that wasn't clear, yeah. Avi one course, get extremely familiar with your avalanche safety equipment. But yeah, then I, I think I would agree with Sam in that if possible, try it out once you've already received that training, try touring out. I mean, skinning at your resort yep. is a great yep. way to see if you're like, oh, turns out I really don't like breathing super hard uh, to get my turns. And a lot of resorts allow that. So I think that's a great option. And it will give you an idea of at least at least one ski setup and maybe how you like that binding or that ski or those skins. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And although my my natural instinct is to always argue with Jonathan, it's hard to <laughs> it's hard to argue against those points. I, I just I, I see backcountry skiing as this it's it's a long journey and it's tons of time, tons of learning, tons of money, and getting a taste of it before you start making those those large time and money investments. If you could, if you have experienced people in your sphere, if you have a resort that you can go walk around, um, those are those are those are good entry points as well. Yeah, I actually really like the the suggestion. Like, go skin up a groomer, mm-hmm. like, and and there you can borrow gear uh, if you like to go do that. And you might just be like, wow, you know what's pretty sweet? Chairlifts. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So the same person that asked the question about uh, best gear to start with in the backcountry. What was what was that name, Luke? Uh, DM Sarkamoto. <laughs> okay. Um, also asked, why no love for the Blizzard Zero G95? I'd like to take this one. That's a good question, and there's kind of two answers. Um, the first answer is there has been an update of that Zero G95, and we have not skied it yet, and that's our policy. We we generally aren't going to talk about skis that have been updated and we can't tell you how subtle or significant of an update there has been on that new ski. So that's the first and probably the most important answer. Let's say that um, if we were to assume that the current Zero G95 is very similar to the ski we reviewed, I think the main thing there is the Solomon Mountain Explorer 95 is just such a good ski. And I think it will, it's an easier ski to recommend to a broader range of people. And that rightly or wrongly, the zero G 95 gets a bit overshadowed by that mountain Explorer 95, but for the right skier, they should definitely take the zero G 95 over the mount, the Solomon mountain Explorer. So the Zero-G was a bit lighter than the Solomon Mountain Explorer, and it's a bit of a different profile, but we felt like take the weight, most skiers should take a little bit of that weight penalty for the very good 
relative downhill performance of the Mountain Explorer 95. But if somebody's like, I'm really looking to go lighter, then sweet, that Zero G 95 is a good ski. Yeah, and we should be getting on the 1920 version this season to confirm. So we will we will post about that um, if and when we get the ski. All right, next question um, from Bryce Dongong or Dongong. <laughs> I don't Bryce know. Bryce Eggnog. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, he asks, what's your ideal two-ski quiver with bindings from the 1920 line? Sam? So I... I saw this question in the notes and I was like, oh, that's hard. And then almost instantly I thought of a really good answer, um, which is not surprising to me. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll be the judge of your answer, Sam. Trust me. So my answer is Blizzard Rustler 11 with a shift and Solomon Mountain Explorer 95 with a ATK Raider 2.0 slash Hagen Core 2.0. I think they call that binding. The Rustler is your midwinter pow touring ski and your everyday resort ski. Um, you know, it's it's light enough to, to, you know, get in the occasional bump line, but it's it's a pretty playful big ski that can hold up to big pow days, but still still I have a lot of fun on that ski and hard pack. And then the Mountain Explorer 95 is your springtime. Go to the top of mountains and scare yourself on the way down ski. So uh, that's a pretty easy one for me, I think. Gotcha. Yeah, for me, and I will definitely reserve the right to change this, um, when we do our actual write-ups of our ski quivers. But for two skis for everything, I think I would do the Line Sick Day 104 with, it'd be a tough call between the Shift and Tecton, but that would be my main touring ski and kind of firm snow resort ski. And then I think it's kind of impossible for me to not include the Rosignol Old Black Ops 118 um, because I will ski that in almost any condition and it's incredibly fun so yeah i think sick day oh and i would mount i guess sth bindings on the black ops but uh i think i'd be pretty happy with that quiver i'm just gonna pass on this question i'm not i'm not (laughs) ready to commit today to quivers for the coming season so we'll be getting into quivers uh sometime in the near future i think and so uh, yeah, you can you can wait for my takes on those, but those are you know, that's a that's a that's a heavy commitment there. You don't you don't go into these kinds of things lightly. How so. about <laughs> an even more committing question from Jacob Whiney? Best all around setup you could think of for skiing at CB. <laughs> I mean, well, we've just been talking about the Folsom Blister Pro 104, and that has not exactly been our answer to the one ski quiver question for CB because as we said, like, I don't care how the blister pro 104 functions as a deep snow ski. Um, but I am thinking of that more as a typical day. Maybe you get outside and it's like, Oh man, the mountains way more firm than I was expecting. Or you get out and you're like, Whoa, this is like a sleeper pow day. Like, but um, I, I, I don't care what the Blister Pro 104 does on a super deep day. But uh, yeah, we're working with this Blister Pro 104. And we have also talked about, you know, several other skis that we really like skiing here. That Fisher Ranger 102, that Nordica Enforcer 104. We had a couple interesting questions come in asking about, Luke, the ski you had built, right? Mm-hmm. Which the, the Romp 100 
Yeah, so there are honestly like a lot of different skis that I could be pretty happy using every day at CB. The Romp 100 that I, I skied was great in terms of the shape and rocker profile and flex pattern all seemed to mesh really well with my style and it like it worked fine on firm snow worked fine in soft snow um but i don't think i'd want to go that light for an everyday ski i feel like i could use a bit more mass for the super firm days so for me at least um like i want to get more time on the blister pro 104 that is definitely high at the high up on the list but i think Right now, I guess I would choose the Fisher Ranger 102. Um, it's a ski that's stable enough for me to ski very fast, but it also feels really quick and maneuverable in tight terrain, which we ski a lot of here. And it's got just enough playfulness to not feel like super one-dimensional. I can ski switch on it. It skis well mounted at like minus six or minus five, so it feels balanced. Um, and all that said, there are a lot of skis that we got in this summer that could very well take the place of that ski. I think the Moment Wildcat 108 is high on that list. We just got the Moment Deathwish and PB&J, which also looks super intriguing. And then the Shaggy skis Amik 105 also looks like it could fill that role really well. So there's a very good chance my answer will change this year. Yeah, and I, I think that PB&J does look rad, but Jacob, I would, for me, it's either the Rossignol Soul 7 HD or the KT Mindbender 108. I think both those skis are pretty rad. And we've been talking a little bit about how that Mantra M102 and a 177 might might work if, if we can get on that length. I think that would be a pretty rad ski too. But a lot of it comes down to skiing preference too, you know? So if you're for for my for my money, if, if you're more if you want a more damp feel, that Mindbender's a great option. If you want a more lively feel, that Soul Seven's good. So, yeah, the Soul Seven is not a good everyday ski for CB. Just putting that <laughs> for out some there. people. Just for I most just people listening. <laughs> just for most everyone listening right now, I'd like to. Uh, I don't know. As an everyday. That thing is super maneuverable. Think about how many sharks and logs and steep narrow techie stuff that thing you can you can whip around super easy it's got tons of energy it doesn't have the suspension or the weight that you like jonathan but i could very very happily ski that thing every day at cb okay so sam i had this question for you because i think veteran listeners of gear 30 this is maybe a question they would have the fact that you're into both the 188 soul 7 and the 184 Vocal Mantra 102. I mean, those are opposite skis. So I think it's worth an explanation. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a skier of refined tastes. <laughs> no, you, you aren't refined <laughs> anything. You, like, refined taste is a word that we could use with respect to you. It just would have different adjectives. Yeah, I don't know, hipster, your refined hipster aesthetic. <laughs> that's about the only thing that comes to mind. But other than that, anyway, back to the point. I think it's interesting that like, so I would say not many people would be into both the Soul 7 and that 184 Mantra 102, or those would be two skis where I would, you know, sometimes I'll say like, if you're into this ski, you will not be into this other ski. And I would feel pretty confident in saying that about those two. And yet here you are. Explain. 
Um, so for one, I, I really, really, really like skiing and, uh, <laughs> this is true about you. I probably like skiing more than everyone listening to this podcast, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Jokes aside. And skiing is so, there's so many different ways that you can go skiing, different styles and different things you can do. And when I'm on the Soul 7, I want to do different stuff than when I'm on that Mantra 102. The one thing that I think that the, the common thread between the Soul 7 and the Mantra 102 is that in regards to the Mantra 102, especially in the category of damp, stiff, heavy chargers, the Mantra 102 is not dead. It has a liveliness and a bit of energy to it that the Soul 7 also has, you know, tons of energy. And that's that's the primary quality that I appreciate in a ski um, personally. So I think that's, that's I guess that's my answer, my short answer. Yeah, I think I think it's cool. I mean, there are a lot of really good skis in different categories. And I mean, I'm kind of the same case. Like, I absolutely love the line Sir Francis Bacon, which is a super light, very soft ski. And I absolutely love the Rosignol Black Ops 118, which weighs a few million grams heavier than the bacon. (laughs) And yeah, it's just like different skiing styles. I mean, I ski differently day to day. So it's, you can appreciate different skis like that. Yeah. I think, I think for me, it comes down to, I think that I am probably more committed to certain shapes in general and then am happy to then like, I clearly I tour on lighter setups, not the lightest setups out there, but lighter setups the one ski that comes to mind, though, that maybe is the most Soul Seven-y, and by the way, like I would happily, I would happily ski tour on a Soul Seven, you know, and I would happily ski a Soul Seven in the resort in forgiving conditions. But like, here's a more interesting example: maybe thinking Soul Seven and Sick Day One Hundred Four, both have a fairly tapered tip, which is usually not my thing, but um. I really like that Sick Day 104 as a lighter option and would reach for it for firm conditions before I took a Soul 7. We did also get a question related to the Soul 7, which I think is a good segue. Jake Wallace123, thank you for the easily pronounceable name, uh, asks Soul 7 versus Ripstick 106C, I assume he means the black edition for touring. Um, it's an interesting question because those skis are pretty similar in terms of specs. Um, and then Sam will definitely be able to offer some input, but for me, at least, I think I would go for the soul seven just because it's a bit looser and easier and really weird snow, which is a lot of what I tend to ski in the backcountry, Um, and it floats better oddly enough. I think I would choose the ripstick if I was using it as a 50-50 or inbound ski because I like how that ski carves. But yeah, I think for backcountry, I'd go Soul 7. Sam? That is so funny because I might have said the exact same thing except just switched every time you said ripstick for Soul 7. <laughs> I think that's called saying the opposite thing, Sam. <laughs> um. I now the, granted this is with full disclosure I have not skied the Ripstick Black Edition but talking with Luke the feeling that I get is that it's skis very similar to the standard edition Ripstick Luke is is that an accurate assessment 
Yeah, very similar. Um, in the time we got on it last year, the main thing I noticed was that the Black Edition is even more energetic and poppy than the standard version, which is pretty poppy to begin with. And it is a little bit lighter, so like maybe a little bit quicker. But overall, the takeaway was they've felt very similar. Yep. Yeah, and so this is also tainted a bit by the lengths that I skied these skis in. I skied the Soul 7 in 188 and the Ripstick in a 181. And that might have a bit to do with this, but that the Soul 7 and the 188 feels a bit too big f- to be a touring ski for me. Um, and I think that Ripstick would be would be a bit a bit better for my skiing style in the backcountry. And I really like that 188 Soul 7 as an inbound ski. Um, so yeah, I guess the exact opposite of what Luke said. <laughs> Did that help Jake Wallace one, two, three? <laughs> Probably just even more conflicted at this point. Uh, so we got uh, a few questions actually about some forefront skis, um, most notably the Renegade, the Devastator, and the Hoji, um, mostly asking about why they were not in the guide this year. Um, as with most cases when that happens, um, is because we didn't ski the 1920 versions last season. Um, the Devastator got lighter uh, for 1920. The Renegade um, had a whole bunch of changes, and we haven't been on the current Hoji in a little while, but we actually just got the current Renegade in HQ the other day, so we'll have a first look up of that ski soon, and hopefully we'll be getting in some deep snow this season. And then we are working on getting reviews, or getting the Devastator and Hoji as well, so Stay tuned for those reviews. Um, as always, we'll post first looks of them um, basically as soon as we get them. Um, okay, next question is from Max at Moment Skis, and it's a good one. He asked, softest ski you'd feel comfortable dropping Corbett's on, referring to Corbett's Coolar at Jackson Hole. Jonathan, you're up first. Oh, man. <laughs> so my... I'm... <laughs> I have to say, my question is, what's the last soft ski? I tend to not maybe ski those so often. I'm like, you guys go review these. What do you guys think? What's the last soft ski I spent like a decent amount of time on? Because my answer is a really dated answer. Well, maybe maybe for Jonathan, we switched the the question to say, what's the lightest ski you'd feel comfortable dropping Corbett's on? That is actually a pretty good question. Be, well, here's here's my answer to this though. I used to talk a lot about like a two iterations ago uh, line Sir Francis Bacon. Mm-hmm. That was an outstanding ski. I liked it as an all mountain ski. And so we're not talking. You know, we have the current Bacon. The previous iteration was a very light ski, and the one before that wasn't that light. So. I talk about this all the time. Like there was, it wasn't super heavy, but it was a, it was not a light ski and it was not a stiff ski. And it was excellent because that flex pattern was balanced. And so like I would drop Corbett's on that, but in terms of more recent additions, the softest would probably be, I'm thinking of like J skis, like the mm-hmm. metal, not it's, this is maybe going to be debatable or, you know, but like certainly the shovel on the metal is not burly. Mm-hmm. Um, I would drop Corbett's on the metal, but some people, you read again, we're going to talk about some other buyer's guides, right? And they're like, it's the burliest freaking stiffest. 
It's like, okay, well, you've never been on skis then, but <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that later. Um, so Luke, Luke, would, would you drop Corbett's on a ripstick 96? Who that's a good question. Not in the 180 that we we're not talking the cheater entrance. We're talking like, like dropping it. Like, like you, 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 you have to air the, the, the cornice. You can't yeah. do the whole. Yeah. No, I am not dropping it on the ripstick one or 96 in a 180 length. Um, I, oddly enough, I think the softest ski that I remember recently skiing is the current bacon. And mm-hmm. I would drop Corbett's on that. You love I'd that have ski. To, I'd have to land centered, but it's got a big sweet spot and it just feels really intuitive. So yeah, that would probably be like the lightest and softest ski I'd drop it on. Yeah, and in fairness, like I, I haven't, I didn't even get on the the new SFB just because it's like, yeah, this isn't like this isn't my ski. Mm-hmm. No one should really care what I think of this thing. So when I'm talking about the old one, it's not because I dislike the current. It's that I just literally was like, you guys go ski that one. And mm-hmm. um, but yeah, thank Luke, you for letting us do that. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, Luke. <laughs> All right, how, how about this? Because I really like this question. Alternative, are there any skis in our front side section that you would feel comfortable dropping Corbett's on? <laughs> <laughs> and so to be clear, you mean sending, like sending, not... Yeah, yeah, like 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 take the drop 15 feet like you've got to do and then like burn, do your big speed burn turn on the no. landing and then survive. Short answer, no. I would drop it on the Monster 88 or the Brahma. I wouldn't drop it on the Brahma for sure. Or probably maybe even this, it depends how soft it is, but maybe yeah. the spar. I mean, stuff you would do versus stuff you'd be like. Ski blades. I'm doing it on ski blades. <laughs> I mean, if someone was like, they had a gun to Sam's head and they're like, we're going to kill Sam if you don't send Corbett's on a monster. I'd just be like, I'd love to, but uh, I've got to gotta go get lunch. I'm running late for lunch. So I'm apologies, oh. Sam. Man. <laughs> and the Brahma, I mean, first of all, did we even put that in front side? Brahma's all mountain. It's in the front side section. But we talk about it as a like the best narrow all mountain all ski. mountain yeah. ski we've still ever been on. I'm just answering the question the way it was phrased. Take that up with Sam. No, I'm not I'm not it. into front side. Because <laughs> fully sending Corbett's like I'm gonna want to scrub speed upon landing and I'm not really into doing that on front side skis. Someone I'd like to see someone do it on one, the iSpeed Pro, and two, the one sixty seven centimeter DPS uh trainer. Yeah, the trainer. <laughs> <laughs> Sam would I Sam would send that on the iSpeed Pro. Sam, in the nicest thing I still ever say about Sam, was <laughs> ripping on the the head iSpeed Pro and uh and I freaking the, love that ski. He skied I don't tighten through bumps. <laughs> he did. I, I'd be scared on the Ice Speed Pro. I would be much more comfortable sending it on the Monster 88 because then you would just straight line the whole thing. And yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can actually not carve a turn on that ski. <laughs> yeah. Which is important. Well, anyway. good question, Max. And we gave you a few extras, I guess. Matsky's Pow asks, "Best new ski for me, comma the best skier on the mountain." <laughs> Well, Soul Seven. <laughs> yeah. Next question. No, the dictator, obviously. Yeah, if you're yeah, truly the best the skier on the mountain, go go grab a dictator and see if you still think you're the best skier. <laughs> and leave it sharp, tip to tail, like yeah. razor sharp. Yeah, give it a race <laughs> tune. 
right. um, no, Black Ops 118, easy answer. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> All right, uh, Hoji Free versus Zero G Pro Tour. Um, so we haven't skied the Hoji Free, the Dinafit Hoji Free boot yet, but we should be able to get that um, very soon. Hopefully, um, we're also hoping to get on the new. TLT eight. Um, so stay tuned for first looks on those boots. Cause we are very interested in the zero G comparison and also like the atomic Hawks ultra XTD and, um, maybe being able to do a Scarpa Mistrali XT comparison. Another question, <laughs> question from the tall Carl, um, asked, will the Solomon S max series get a walk mode version this year? Uh, as far as we know, they do not have any plans to do that, but we'll see at uh, outdoor retailer, I guess. I'm gonna go with no. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to tour. I don't want to tour in an S Max <laughs> with like, a walk mode. That's even. a yeah. light race boot. Yeah, I'm gonna go with yes, just to be controversial. I, I mean, let me take this one step further. I will bet. Who was this? This was the tall Carl. <laughs> I will bet the tall Carl that Solomon isn't interested in making such a low volume touring boot. That's my, so, so the tall Carl, if I'm wrong about this, you come to CB and I will buy you a beer or your drink of choice, but I'm going to go with that's not happening. If they call it an S max touring boot, it's not, it's still not, they will have cheated the last and the, and the volume of that boot. It is, I don't believe I don't believe somebody's going to be making a, a a touring boot that that is that truly LV. Yeah, it is interesting that we don't see many touring boots that are that low volume. Um, even the ninety eight hurt. Yeah, because yeah, it turns out hurt. you need your feet to <laughs> walk, play out, and walk, yeah. and yeah. Um, but we will see. Maybe the tall Carl will get a free beer from Jonathan. Not going to happen. The tall Carl, <laughs> you owe me a beer. I think. Anyway, next question. Um, okay, next question. And this is one that we've gotten from a few different people actually, basically asking about heavier reviewers, um, reviewing skis for heavier people. Um, any thoughts on that, Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, I think my first comment is, I mean, we've got about nine years of review work behind us. And it just isn't the case that we have heard from many and frankly i won't say any but like i can't think of instances where more than two or three people literally in nine years have come back and said your take on this ski was wrong or I had a very different experience and I believe that's because I'm just much bigger than you. So could very well be the case that people don't feel like sending us that note. And I don't mean to be dismissive of that comment. It's great to get those kinds of, you know, data points and feedback from people. And, you know, yeah, we're, we're certainly not opposed to adding like a heavier skier, but we're not interested in like adding people that don't feel like they're good fits here or can't articulate the nuances in the ways that we kind of want or need them to. So that's definitely a subjective thing to say, but that's kind of my take on that. Mm -hmm. Well, and like, and, and this is something I think I've said on the podcast before, but one thing that 
I've really learned about since coming to Blister and doing a lot of ski reviews is that ski reviewing is a very specific skill. It's not mm-hmm. like, oh, right. you're a good skier, you're a good ski reviewer, you're a bad skier, you're a bad ski reviewer. That's not what it is at all. Like you you come in, you get on all these skis, then you start to get a sense of how all the different skis fit together and what place in the market these different skis hold. And what we are at Blister is really good ski reviewers, if if I if I if I can say that. Some um, of us. We're, <laughs> Some of us. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we we're we have a lot of experience and we're pretty pretty good at placing a ski where it where it falls. And the fact that I'm a, a smaller guy doesn't mean that Jonathan and I disagree on every ski. We have different preferences, yeah. but we we have very similar takes on almost all skis. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I, I I think Paul Forward is probably our heaviest reviewer right now. Are we calling Paul fat? Uh, yeah. Okay. You're fat, it's Paul. Just, I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> probably will be. He just shot a fourteen hundred pound moose, so he's I probably know. getting chunky and eating all that meat. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he's like one ninety without a pack, two hundred with a pack, I think. Two two hundred with a pack. Paul only skis with like fifty pound backpacks. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Paul was rolling training. at like two forty. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't recall ever having a ski that you and Paul had very different opinions on for what it's worth. No, I, I the biggest thing I think with Paul is frankly, like he's he hates moguls and never skis them. And so he is I think that's a bigger factor. You know, I, I spend a lot of time skiing like kind of steeper, moguled out stuff. And that's where I think the biggest difference between Paul and I come comes in. You know, he, for example, loved the, I guess, previous 194 forefront devastator, a huge ski. But like, yeah, if you never have to work that thing through steep, like weird moguls, sure, like have a blast, like opening it up or even working it through like tight corridors, but not gnarly ass weird bumps. You know, yeah, I mean, if if more bigger guys out there are like, well, I've read multiple reviews you've written, then gone and gotten on these skis and definitely have a different take than you, well, let us know. But just the honest answer is like, these aren't comments we get. Mm-hmm. Okay, next question. Moving away from skis, uh, Alexander asks, seems like lots of apparel manufacturers who were previously using NeoShell are moving to proprietary membranes. Any general comments on the direction of air perms right now? Are these proprietary air perm membranes really a step forward over NeoShell and Event? Which pieces are your top pieces for a good balance of breathability and waterproofing, resort only, or touring? (laughs) lot to unwrap there, Sam. Oh, wow. Yeah, where to even start? Um, I think, so we can start with proprietaries versus like the name brands, NeoShell versus proprietaries. I th- it's really difficult to say whether these membranes are a legitimate step forward, the proprietaries, because we don't know anything about them. Um, I think this is a really good time to talk about the North Face Future Light, Luke, mm-hmm. if you, if you want to maybe un unwrap that with me a, a little bit now but um essentially future light and most of these proprietaries are all just variations on a theme and that theme was started with neo shell however long ago it was now five six seven years ago and the idea is a membrane that lets a little bit of air through 
that still maintains a decently high water column on a, on a waterproof test. And the, the really the only thing that separates North Face Future Light from a lot of these other ones is they're, they're claiming their you know, tunability. So they're using the same Future Light name across a huge swath of their line and they're tuning the membranes for the different, um, for the different end uses. But overall, I don't see one jumping out really in the whole scheme of things. Right now, we're all we're still operating under this paradigm of the more waterproof you get, the less breathable you get, and vice versa. So the I think the best material is still going to be the one that strikes that balance that is what you happen to need for what you do, um, unless you have a, a different take, Luke. Um, yeah, so I definitely agree with you for the most part. Um, I think one cool thing about all these proprietary air permeable membranes is that we get a greater variety um, like the Patagonia old dissensionist uh, kit had a membrane that was really breathable probably not like wouldn't call it totally waterproof in really wet conditions but companies being able to develop their own membranes and use them and tweak them as they see fit definitely provides more options in terms of that spectrum of waterproofing versus breathability. I, in terms of like, how does it compare to NeoShell and Event? I think, I think Strafe's, um, their proprietary recon air fabric feels pretty similar to NeoShell. Um, we haven't done enough AB testing to like release a conclusive statement about that. Um, and their stuff seems to, uh, compare well to event too. And so does Flylo's, the perm fabric. Um, I would call Flylo's and the kind of resort oriented versions of Strafe's membrane, pretty similar to event. Um, I, I, I think the, the old Strafe sham jackets recon air fabric was one of the ones I've used. that's quite similar to NeoShell in terms of breathability. And then that old Patagonia dissensionist. Um, but mostly I'm just excited to see brands kind of tweak these further and um, provide either more breathability, more waterproofing. And we should be getting a few North Face Future Light uh, products in the next week or two. So we will be able to comment on that fabric because I know Sam and I are super curious about it. And, and in theory too, all the proprietaries should bring the cost down slightly you know, cause they're not paying royalties to these brands. So I, that's, that's a bit more nebulous, but hopefully, hopefully we, we will see costs coming down on these things. All right. Next question is from arguably the person with the best name uh, attributed to their comment. It was from quote, Sam Shaheen fanboy um, asking, <laughs> I've noticed your ski reviews have become more focused on recommending a type of skier that would enjoy each ski. With your philosophy background, Jonathan, it got me wondering, have you ever thought about taking this a step further and designing a flow chart with questions about how you enjoy skiing to then direct people to certain skis? Okay. Um, here's my answer. No. Can I have an answer? No. <laughs> um, Sam Shaheen fanboy, first of all, you are definitely my least favorite uh person in the blister audience uh so you got just one strike against you second no i'm not interested third these are conversations that we are having internally but 
obviously, if I thought this is something we should be doing, we would have done it. But like I said, there are some conversations we're having internally. This might be a good opportunity, though, for me to talk about a website that I just learned about. Scott Andrus, actually, at ON3P, kind of annoyingly sent me a note asking if I was familiar with curated.com. And I say annoyingly because then I checked it out and I, this site made me just furious. And this is too often the problem, I think, is that I understand the impulse and it's a, it's a fine one and a good one. But I think sometimes we live in a world where everybody likes things kind of easy and quick and dumb and it can just devolve too quickly into like, fill out these 10 questions in the questionnaire and then we'll line you up with the right thing. And like having done nothing else pretty much for the last nine years, this just doesn't work. And if look, look at curated.com if you want. For the record, this is a garbage website. It looks nice. So this is the problem, right? It's easy to make something look nice and then have it be wildly unhelpful. So, so I went through and like did the steps, um, filled out the steps. It's also really annoying. Like they force you to put in your phone number and then they start like robo calling you. And just like this whole thing is really, really stupid. But um, the two skis they recommended for me, for my personal skis, and I, fi I filled out all the information, you know, we went through these steps of how much do you weigh? What kind of terrain do you like to ski? Blah, blah, blah. The DPS Whaler 112, <laughs> which frankly, like it's a good ski for a lot of people. It just happens to be like my personal least favorite ski <laughs> in the world. That was their number one recommendation. And that is exactly the kind of thing I vow we will never do. Right? Yeah, that's pretty amazing. It, <laughs> the other ski was a ON3P Magnus 90. <laughs> Oh my God. So those were their top two, a park ski. And again, if you know anything about me, well, basically the weight and shape of the Whaler 112 is just the opposite of what I'm into. And this is my big concern. And as long as I'm alive, we will never do anything like this unless it can be done in a way that isn't utterly misleading and wrong and evil. Yeah. Yeah, I think my take is just that there is so much context and nuance involved in figuring out what ski is going to be, work best for you, which is why um, I've been answering a lot of questions from Blister members over the past few weeks about which skis would be best for them. And I always start with like, all right, can you provide me like a full background on your skiing preferences, your skiing style, what skis have you liked, what uh, skis did you not like? What specifically did you like or not like about them? Where are you going to use the ski? How, like, how do you approach the mountain? so many things um, that make it extremely difficult to turn this into a simple form. I think there really is value in terms of reading many reviews and that giving you an, a good idea of um, if, they'll, if a certain ski would be a good fit for you. So I just, I just did this curated sports quiz. Dina Star Menace Proto. The Dinastar Proto, the Fisher Ranger 107 Ti, and the Nordica Enforcer 115 Free. Sam, literally, I cannot think of a worse ski for, for you than the Fisher Ranger 107. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think I'd probably hate that ski. I do really like the Proto, though. The Dinastar Proto is a rad ski, but 
it's an in, it's it's interesting. It's also extraordinarily different than the Ranger 107. Yeah, there's no rhyme or reason. And so again, I understand the impulse, but I hate this modern world we live in where it's like let's just automate everything and in 10 easy questions and it's like again, there are things that we are thinking about and working on. So this is not to say that I'm against any kind of exploration of that. The bullshit version is called curated.com. You are awful at what you do, and I hate that stuff like this exists. Good to know you haven't uh, softened up at all in terms of your response to other review publications. Now, I I have a very brief response to Sam Shaheen fanboy. Yep. (laughs) Shout out. Um, Just for the record, I I think that, like, I, I disagree with Jonathan on most things. So I, maybe I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but curated.com, this was pretty poor. It's garbage. It's good-looking garbage. garbage. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, again, I, I, the reason I care is because it looks nice, and people who do, don't know better will go and be like, oh, cool. Apparently, th- skis that we know are literally like the opposite of what we would like or what would serve us well they're going to go through, do this, and be like, you know what's not very cool? Skiing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, obviously, that's why I bothered to start this, and it's why we do what we do. And this is probably a pretty good segue to our next segment. We're going to talk a bit about the buyer's guides from a few other publications. Um, and to start it off, we actually had uh, someone submit a question about this. Mike was going through some of the other buyer's guides and wanted to hear our thoughts on the most egregious ski descriptions. Um, The first example he gave was a blurb about the Blizzard Rustler 10 uh, that said, everyone who knows Blizzard's Rustler series knows these puppies are built like race cars. There is no speed limit with these dragsters. I just like the image of a puppy that's built like a race car. (laughs) Like, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, I mean, wrestlers, we like them. Like, they're good skis, but they are not, well, no skis a dragster or built like a race car. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's not really what makes them stand out is, like, they can go super fast. Like, they are fun, playful skis. Easy. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Um, What else did Mike... What else did Mike select? Yeah, so Mike also selected probably the one of the best uh, in terms of being the worst blurbs we saw, um, which was about the Line Vision 108, a ski that we really like. That we really a, like. As a touring ski. Yep. And it said, if you see yourself charging the burliest terrain your home resort has to offer, the brand spanking new Vision 108 is the ski for you. No. <laughs> and and how and, much does that ski weigh, Luke? Uh, like a little over sixteen hundred grams for the one eighty three. That's a light touring ski, yeah, for yeah. that width, you know. <laughs> yeah. So my, you know, again, we already talked about it, but like one of my favorite touring skis is the Forefront Raven in one hundred eighty four centimeters. That comes in at about seventeen fifty grams. The Line Vision one hundred eight is sixteen hundred ish grams. And apparently we're being told 
Uh, that's the ski for you if you ski the burliest terrain your home resort has to offer. They go out of their way to specify it's for in, we're talking inbounds. Yeah. And on that note, same uh, publication also wrote about the Vision 98, which is even lighter than the 108. It says it offers a far out dampened ride that'll blow through crud and lay down a thick line, man. <laughs> This is the equivalent of like one of the, again, it was, I keep talking about these late nights was we were nearing the finish line and like any project, if, you know, as you're getting near the end, you start staying up later, sleeping less to like pull it across the finish line. And Luke and I were reading some of these blurbs and I said to Luke, well, I actually said two things. I said, these read exactly like if Donald Trump wrote ski reviews was one comment. The other was, this is the equivalent of like, if we made a buyer's guide about violins, Sam, you don't play the violin, I presume? No, 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 no. Luke and I don't know anything about violins either. But if I was like, the Stradivarius 108 uh, has a rich tone, yet uh, also blends delicate high notes with uh, aplomb. Like a race car. Like a race car. It's like, it's literally, I think we could actually, I actually think if you gave us like 48 hours, we could write a better buyer's guide of violins because we wouldn't talk about puppies that were race cars and stuff, (laughs) but it's egregious. Yeah, it's, it's real bad. Um, so one of one of my favorite ones from a different publication this is about talking about the Black Ops 98 and they're talking about how there's no specs on it like Rosignol's not saying what's in the core or whatever and they make this comment that says this left our testers to make judgments completely by feel. Yeah. No. I laughed out loud at that one. Like how else are you going to judge a ski? Are you going to be like, "Oh, I can really feel the poplar in this ski." Like that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Like, yeah. There's judgments by feel are the only judgments one can make (laughs) but look let's get let's be real this is what you do when you don't actually spend any time on the product you're like i don't have anything to talk about because i skied it for two runs max if i skied it at all I, i honestly i think these guys have it on lock i think this is what we should do i think next year we just talk about the construction materials that's literally luke just copy and paste it from websites by the way copy and paste it incorrectly. It doesn't even matter. Also, by the way, talk (laughs) about how these buyer's guides, we found several that talk about skis have, that have titanium in them. No skis are made with titanium. They are made with tetanol. These are aluminum. These are not the same thing, ski magazines. And so it's like, they can't, it's like, when they do their one go-to dance move on the dance floor, which is just talk about the, the construction, they can't even get that right. It's like, you guys are bad at this and you should stop doing it. Across the board for the Black Ops 98 and the 118, at least half of the paragraph was only dedicated to talking about that the fact that they could not talk about the construction, which just cracks me up <laughs> because I'm just picturing someone like trying to write this like 50 to 75 word blurb and like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know what it's made out of. I don't know the side cut number. And yeah, that line about like left us to make judgment completely by feel. And I think it just sums it up really well. Here's, here's another of my favorites. Um, we talked about this ski earlier, the J skis metal. 
another, yeah. <laughs> another really good ski, right? We like this ski a lot. Quote, the metal balances incredible power with supreme weight savings. Yeah. The metal is one of the heavier, if not heaviest, like 106 millimeter wide skis on the market, literally. But it technically has a narrowed out piece of tetanol, not titanium in it. So that definitely makes it lighter. <laughs> For the renowned Citadel 106, they're talking about Renown's HDT, non-Newtonian construction, saying they found this technology means no chatter, but also less speed. And mostly I'm just really confused. That makes no sense. <laughs> what that's, does that mean? It, that's like they found like a fortune cookie that had like Mandarin. It was written in Mandarin and they just put that in Google Translate and then it came out as whatever was no happening. chatter, less speed. Yeah, yeah, that literally isn't a thing. That's not a thing in the world. Yeah, like I can see snowboards. Like Andrew Forward tends to talk about how fast a board is, but that's because their shapes differ so much. But I have never thought to myself, this similarly long, similarly wide ski is faster than this other similarly long, similarly wide ski, apart from like waxing. Yeah. Yeah, that one is super weird. Um, okay, this this one's a this one's a entertaining one. Um, oh, Sam, I'm gonna read it to you and see if you can guess the ski it's talking about. <laughs> oh, this is gonna be fun. With the agility of a hummingbird and the power of a raging bull, you can lay these puppies over and put the entire mountain into submission. This is like the Noah Ark of ski reviews. <laughs> it's got all of them. <laughs> it's got all the animals. Wait, I don't know the, like, say this again, because I, I didn't see this one. With the agility of a hummingbird and the power of a raging bull, you can lay these puppies over and put the entire mountain into submission. Oh, my God. I'll say this. It's, you wouldn't guess it if you knew anything about the ski. So it's not the Soul 7? No. <laughs> I, the only thing I'm going to say is like, I'm, I'm not for like people getting fired generally, but whoever wrote that should get fired. What, what ski is it, Luke? It is the Head Core 93. Whoa. That ski is so light and stiff. Yeah. I could give them agility, even though it's not a particularly easy ski to like pivot around. It is really light though. It is light. It weighs like a hummingbird. It's light. <laughs> With the weight of a hummingbird. There's nothing Raging Bull about that ski, though. No. Or wow. anything about... It well, also, that just means nothing. It won't put the mountain into submission. It may put you, you into submission, submission if yeah. you're skiing fast <laughs> on really rough snow. Um, yeah, that was a good one. This one I like because their car comparison isn't even right. Um, this is about the Rip, Elon Ripstick 106 Black Edition. Um, they say the ripstick utilizes a combination of carbon tubes running the entirety of the ski, as well as, in quotes, advanced composites in the tip to enhance the Polonia Beach Poplar wood core for race car speed with Porsche-like smoothness. Um, <laughs> I think it's just funny because Porsches are not known for being smooth. They're known for They're being race precise right. and handle like really... Uh, Precise. I mean, precisely. Like, they're not like a Bentley or a, a like, Cadillac. Yeah, a Cadillac. Yeah, those cars. We'll are correct their race car analogy and then delete it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. We fixed so, it. Now get rid of okay, it. Okay, look. 
you guys are killing me. Like you, you guys are just waiting to see like how many more you can read till <laughs> I like throw my laptop at the wall. Yeah. But this is honestly my question. Why does anybody still pick these buyer's guides up? That's a good question. Pretty pictures. There, and there are, right? Like, and again, I want to be clear here. I think that in terms of what we would call photojournalism, there are some photographers out there killing it. There are athletes out there killing it, right? The athletes are good at their jobs. The photographers are good at their jobs. It is the buyer's guides that are utter trash. And why people aren't just outraged about this? I don't, I don't, think, I don't think most people know that there's an alternative. Mm-hmm. Without without being able to be like, oh, this is a good review and this is a bad review. It's like, oh, this is a review. This is this this is the information I have about the ski. You know, I mean, I think a lot of people also walk into shops and talk to, you know, talk to a shop guy who maybe spent a run on each of the skis seven months ago at a on snow test at SIA, and they trust that guy's opinion too of what their best ski is going to be, which probably isn't the best thing to do. And then I would also, and I would say to that, and like, we know that's true at some shops, but then we also get to talk to a lot of our recommended shop folks. And those are smart conversations about product, right? So I'm definitely not willing to say that like all shops are the same. And oh, I think absolutely that, not. right. And I, and I know you're not saying that either. And so as always, it's like, consider the source and it's like, man, are we that incapable of determining like a shitty shop from a good one and a shitty review publication from a good one? Maybe. And and maybe that's on us. I mean, maybe we need to do a better job or, I don't know, launch Sam out of a cannon in Las Vegas <laughs> with a blister, read blister. You know, you got to step up your marketing efforts, Sam. But it, it really, it always comes back to me, you know, for me to like, this stuff is really expensive. And so I get it if somebody's like, dude, calm down. Like it's just skiing. That's great. Are you rich or do you get your skis for free? Because the people I know and, you know, it's like this stuff is real money. And I I still find it offensive that the publications that are supposed to be sort of the you know, the papers in our respective sports just straight up fucking lie and or are so stupid that this is, they turn out this kind of pap. And I, I people should stop reading these things. Yeah. It is some entertainment for us, at least. <laughs> Not me. I'm pissed. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go like, I got to go like find a heavy well, and, bag to pound. Yeah. <laughs> The, the real sad thing is we have like so many more of these, but mm-hmm. I feel like if we do one more, Jonathan might blow a gasket. Like you get one more, you get Sam or Luke, you pick one more and then. Okay. Um, I just thought this was funny. It was regarding the K2 Mindbender 108 TI. They said part of this is right. Part of it is very wrong. Many noted its potential to help intermediates improve and allow advanced and expert skiers especially park skiers getting into free ride to get down the hill smiling. The Mindbender has a minus 10 mount point. It's a very traditional ski. 
Someone who's skiing the park, probably skiing their skis dead center, probably used to a totally symmetrical shape and weight and flex pattern. Don't ski the Mindbender 108. Yeah, are, no, that makes no sense. There are also, so what a many really better. specific thing, like yeah. park skiers getting into free ride. And there are so oh. many like good, playful yet stable skis. Like get on a Woodsman 108. Like that'd be a great ski if you're doing big mountain cops or something like that. Anyway, we can close with that one. Um, but we're actually going to close with <laughs> one of the better questions we got from Molly. Why does Sam have a weird pronunciation of the TT sound as in cotton? The hard T's get dropped. <laughs> cotton. Well, I, so basically we can translate this question into why does Sam talk weird? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Molly. Shout out. Um, actually, I learned that I learned during my time um, in Switzerland, actually, that people from Colorado tend to have this accent where we do drop hard, hard consonants in the middle yep. of words like cotton or mountain or yep. water. I don't say the T is very good. If I think about it, I can say mountain and I can say cotton, cotton. But yeah, thanks for pointing that out to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely, I think I've picked it up at this point. But when I first moved to Colorado, I noticed that right away. Like the T's get dulled almost. Mount, mountains. Yeah. I had I had a British roommate who would just like scream at me from across my flat every time I would say water wrong. He'd be like, it's water. <laughs> water. That's funny. Yeah. Um I, I'm really am. Like I'm angry. I need to I need to get off this podcast and go work out or something. Uh do we have to do anything else here? No, I think we're gonna leave it at that. We do have I mean, we weren't able to get to every question, but um we always encourage people to submit questions and um, we'll either bring them up at a later date on this podcast or answer them on the site, uh, social media, etc. So we all really appreciate all the questions and um, hopefully this was useful and or entertaining. Yeah. And um, just to reiterate Luke's point, you guys really do ask good questions. And so, um, yeah, keep sending them in. Um, send us an email or uh or dms on instagram work okay too and we'll we'll make this more of a regular thing but um apologies to anyone i offended except for anyone who has worked on buyer's guides at other publications i meant to offend you and so no apologies <laughs> go to you so um but everybody else apologies let's leave it at that uh i'm gonna go work out and uh i'll talk to you guys hit that heavy bag hit that heavy bag and uh we'll talk to you all real soon Alrighty. All right. Well, that's it for this edition of Gear 30. Thanks to everyone who submitted questions, and thanks to Luke Alley for producing this episode. As always, please be safe out there, and we will talk to you again next week.